recap the scriptures for those of you who are writing down. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 1 through 15, and then 14, 1 through 5. Romans 12, 1 through 10. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. And then Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. A couple observations just to begin, and that's that uh, this is actually pretty obvious stuff. You know, I think it's important not to try to draw too many conclusions from passages that are far, few, and far in between. And we have to be careful with the whole idea of spiritual gifts simply because they, there's only three passages that really talk about, kind of this other half passage. There's been a lot to, that, that has kind of been built on top of uh, a biblical understanding of spiritual gifts. So I really encourage you to go back and read those this next week or at some point and kind of just think through them because I think spiritual gifts is one of the more plain uh, theologies in all of the scripture. And yet people complicate them far too much. And part of the reason they complicate them in my mind, are for a couple reasons. One is because, you know, spiritual gifts is very communal, and our society is not. We've attacked the idea of community ever really since the Enlightenment when we started to really focus on individual human achievement and individuals pursuing their sort of max potential, all right? Everybody's got to be, you know, the best they can possibly be, the best version of themselves, rather than being a part of a larger community that's doing something big. Number two is just how uncomfortable we are, generally speaking, with spirituality. We like science, we like experience, but spirituality is just kind of odd. And so I think a lot of what we've added on top of the whole idea of spiritual gifts is nothing more than our um, lack of and unwillingness to just see the scripture for what it's saying. In my mind, spiritual gifts is pretty straightforward, okay? Um, It's one of the lesser complicated things to actually talk on. And yet churches argue over these gifts all the time to the point where you actually have certain denominations that have kind of popped up uh, simply based on their focus on whether these gifts still exist or not and in what forms. So I think this is an important conversation for us today. Uh, I think that just because there are only three and a half passages on spiritual gifts, there are a lot more. Uh, there's a lot more to spiritual gifts than just those passages. Because what we're ultimately talking about is the Holy Spirit working in the lives of individuals and communities. Something, again, I think in Christian culture, we've really kind of lost a a real sense of. Leslie brought this out when she talked about the Holy Spirit a couple weeks back. Uh, And and we kind of have some sense of Jesus. We have an understanding of God. But the Holy Spirit working in us is really not something we tend to focus on or understand very well. And I believe that spiritual gifts is really one way we can understand the Spirit's work uh, in us. And so, anyway, I just give that as sort of a preparatory statement. So, I'm going to do two things, uh, or at least hope to. The first one is I want to kind of wean us away from what spiritual gifts really aren't. Okay, simple as that. Some of the things that in modern, you know, spiritual rhetoric and in, in talk, we've made spiritual gifts things that they're really not. Or equated them with things that they're not. Like psychological traits or personality or competencies and things like that. And then uh, I want to do that pretty quickly and then I want to move on to, okay, so what are spiritual gifts? And remember the whole goal of this series is to bring some of these really high and lofty ideas down into really practical day-to-day, how do I live, how does this change, how I think about myself and about my environment kind of stuff. All right, so that's what I'm going to do. We'll see how it works. Uh, you know, first part here, what they aren't, okay? First, spiritual gifts aren't interests or hobbies that you can fit into ministry. This time seems kind of silly, but there's been this growing, and maybe it's kind of stopped, but a growing uh, focus on what am I interested in, what am I good at, 
And let's just sort of figure out how that's God's way of creating me in a specific way to do specific ministry. Um, Parts of that are okay. Parts of it are absolutely awful because they're ultimately based on this idea that each one of us has some unique potential, unique capability, and all we've got to do in life is just sort of master that and we'll have succeeded. In fact, it goes along really well with our American value of individual achievement. We love, as Americans, to to achieve and be successful. Sounds like a good thing, right? Problem is, in our love and overemphasis on uh, wanting to achieve and be successful, we've looked at really silly and, I think, shallow signs of success as proof that we've become successful. So if I have a degree, I'm successful. If I have a middle income, I'm successful. If I have a a 40-hour-a-week job that people generally think is a professional job or a nice job, I'm successful. And the list of approved signs of success goes on and on. And this is a real problem for a number of reasons. Number one, the folks on the bottom who often don't have opportunities or don't have the kind of privileges to achieve these successes see themselves as not valuable at all. They have no uh, outward exposure or sign that they've been successful or accomplished or achieved anything. Uh, But in some ways, that's not even the worst manifestation of this. In some ways, the worst manifestation is those people who have achieved and have succeeded thinking of themselves as something simply because they've fallen in line with society's standard of success and achievement. Oh, look at me. I have a job. Look at me. I have a degree. I'm so successful. And many of us might not talk like that, but when we wake up every morning, many of us fall back to a sense of security from the things that we've achieved or been successful in. I wake up and I think, man, I'm still that guy that can do this. I'm still this girl who can do this. Or I'm insecure in the things that I still don't have the ability to do. Things of successes, achievements, signs of me progressing or moving forward. And all the while, there's no real sense of God being able to work in anyone, in any situation, regardless of whether they fit success from our societal standpoint. We just lose that idea. As if you got to do these things first and then God can work through you. Once you're successful, then God can do all of these things in the environment you're in. We've got a real issue with this. I think a huge problem. We focus so much on individual achievement and mastery. And not only does that make us compare ourselves to other people, both in spiritual ways and in whatever success type you know, we think about. But in, in uh, I think an even worse aspect of it is we begin to think that we've done this. We accomplished this. And we are blind to the kind of privilege and opportunity a lot of us just fell into. We think, oh, well, you know, I accomplished this. That's what individual success tells me. Is I'm successful or not successful because of something with me. And we're completely blind to the privilege and opportunities that some people have over others. We don't like even talking about that as a society. We hate it. The thought that I was given something or... Uh, inherited something or had an easier opportunity than someone else does not fit into our vocabulary. And yet it's a constant theme in the New Testament. Why do you think they constantly got to be talking about slave versus free and Greek versus Jew and all of these different divisions that people get themselves into? 
What do you think Jesus, uh, uh, you know, the main message that God gives in Deuteronomy 4 when he, when he lets the people free is what? Don't start thinking you've done anything to get these gifts. Because as soon as you do, as soon as you make them about you've accomplished something, you deserve, you've been rewarded, you'll forget me entirely. And it's exactly what they do in a matter of 10 to 15 years. We do the same thing. So no wonder the whole idea of spiritual gifts isn't important to us. Uh, or if it is important, we think of it more in terms of personality traits or skills that I've developed or hobbies and things I'm interested in that communicate my unique, expressive personality and interest in the world. That's not what spiritual gifts are. At the end of the day, spiritual gifts are literally gifts God has given us in whatever environment we're in with no deserving on our part, with no background skill or competency or personality to build up the body around us. It's as simple as that. And it's communicated in every single one of these passages over and over again. And it's no surprise that the love passage that everybody loves from 1 Corinthians comes directly in the middle of spiritual gifts and worship. But yet it's a constant theme as you go back and read through these passages is that they have everything to do with learning how to love people and interact with people in a way that's good for them and not in a way that maximizes your own sense of accomplishment or achievement or uniqueness and expressiveness. In fact, that's what he's fighting against when he goes into that long conversation about because I'm not an ear, you know, I'm telling the foot, whatever he's telling the foot, I can't remember what the one is, you know, foot talking, I don't know how the foot talks, but that's whatever, Paul apparently figured that out. I don't know it. So we've got to get past our obsession with individual achievement and, and all the, the signs of that, because uh, otherwise we'll come to spiritual gifts with a very American way of looking at it. Here's a sign of my spirituality. Here's a sign that I've arrived. Uh, here, here's something that really uniquely expresses my identity, my spiritual gift profile. That's nonsense, man. That's absolute nonsense. And the scripture doesn't bear any of that out when you really read through it. And we've got to get past that, I think. Uh, number two. Well, actually, let me back up a little bit. Um, so, when you, can, when you can kind of grasp that we're obsessed with individual success and achievement... And you can recognize that spiritual gifts are ultimately something that the Spirit does uh, in us with very little effort on our part. I think it helps us understand something that's really important as uh, disciples of Christ. And that's that failure is always an option with us. Christians are failures. We are not afraid to fail. We don't run from failure. We don't have to try to look past in the past and, and make a, put a positive spin on the bad things we've done. Because there might not be a positive spin. If there's a positive spin, it's because God has the ability to work in our weakness and bring good things out of it. Yeah. But this idea that, you know, well, uh, we can't recognize failure. Guys, the testimony of the leaders in Scripture that God uses, they were all failures. You know, you go back and you read in Hebrews 11, the Heroes Hall of Fame. We all love those passages. I don't know how many of you were at the leadership conference. I couldn't find this the other day, so who knows it's lost. But I wrote a Heroes Hall of Shame, which took every single one of those heroes and talked about things in their past that they had absolutely done wrong and failed at. And some failure is failure that could be avoided, and some failure is just failure we have to kind of embrace as... Hey, that's just wrong time, wrong person, wrong role. Who knows? But when we, when we move away from this obsession with individual achievement, we can begin to fail. And it's okay to fail. 
Because we're going to do a lot of failing when we're trying to accomplish the kinds of things God wants us to accomplish. Things that are impossible. We stick to the stuff that we're good at in the very narrow range that we can know with some prediction and consistency we're going to accomplish. We're not going to need the Spirit to work in us. But if we head into an environment knowing full well that it's okay to fail and epically fail, then we have a lot more space, I think, to allow the Spirit to work in us and what we're doing. Both on an individual level and at a corporate level. Okay? So I just want to throw that out there that we've got to be okay with failure. Uh, and, uh, and I think you know, getting past this obsession with individual, achie- individual achievement and signs of that has to be okay. Can you imagine Jesus fitting into some of the stereotypes of success in our day, I mean, or, or in his day, much less in our day? I mean, he was okay with being seen as a failure and with failing, okay? Uh, according to the world standards of failure, which is a whole other way of looking at it. We've got to move on. All right, number two, spiritual gifts aren't simply personality traits, values, or skills, so I think we've gone to two, and I said simply, I, I'm not saying that they're not at all, okay? But I'm saying simply, they're not simply this. We've, we've gone to two extremes when we look at spiritual uh, gifts. And it, it, any spiritual gifts inventory will, uh, will show you this pretty quickly. I, I went yesterday and took like three or four spiritual gifts inventories. Literally on two of the inventories, I scored opposite. Like on one of them, I was like an apostle, wisdom, and uh, um, apostle, wisdom, Ryan, what was the other one? I can't remember Oh, whatever. Apostle wisdom, something like that. And evangelism was like lowest, which I didn't realize evangelism had become a spiritual gift. But uh, I thought that was just a requirement for all of us. Uh, and the other test I took, evangelism, highest on, apostleship and wisdom, I was like the lowest on. I'm like, what happened in the last 15 or 20 minutes? Did I lose my spiritual gift? Does it really come on and off that quickly? That's, oh, goodness. So these spiritual gifts tests uh, show us, I think, about what spiritual gifts really aren't when we look back through them, okay? Number one, they aren't simply a personality profile. Because you like being with people doesn't mean you have the gift of evangelism, okay? (laughs) Any more than just because you like being a loner means you have the gift of, like, reflection and meditation. But we think like that. Because it's, it's, when we do this, it's us-centered. One of the most important things about spiritual gifts is recognizing it's spiritual gifts. It's the Holy Spirit's gifts in you. It's not about you. It's about building up the community. You get some fringe benefits from it, sure. But it's not about you. When we make spiritual gifts about our interests, our hobbies, fitting into ministry, it becomes about us. When spiritual gifts is about my personality profile, my values, my traits, it's about me. But spiritual gifts aren't that. There's no sense that we have in Scripture that spiritual gifts are about us doing anything. And this idea of the personality that we've become so obsessed with today and explaining kind of all human behavior... Um, has its limitations, particularly when it comes to these spiritual gifts. Who even defines these? One of my favorite tests that I took uh, was this very liberal mainline uh, Protestant uh, church, which, you know, mainline Protestants tend to be pretty liberal, and so they embrace science, sometimes uh, uh, not skeptically enough. And one of the, well, there was like a handful of questions on the, the spiritual gift survey that was, are you good with learning new languages? Can you speak multiple languages? And I'm like, how is this a spiritual gift? And then I realized they're ultimately talking about tongues. They've decided that tongues is not something you do when the Spirit comes on you. It's just sort of being good at, at languages. What the heck? How is that a spiritual gift, being good at languages? I mean, that would fit more in the line of knowledge or something like that maybe. But you see a very, very liberal, skeptical way of looking at spiritual gifts. That's like taking away the spiritual side of it altogether. 
It reminds me of this Discovery Channel uh, episode that was really interesting where they go through and they prove scientifically that all of the ten plagues in Exodus could have happened naturally. That was one of my favorite episodes because I'm like, this is such nonsense. And yet it, you want to believe it. You're like, yeah, of course, gases from the lake rise, but they don't kill the, they kill the firstborn because of his location in the hammocks and things. And you're just like, wow, when science gets... You know, applied to everything and tries to explain away spiritual things, we get into some really crazy uh, faith-based science. And, uh, ooh, that's scary. Um, what did you say? What? No piece of this? You, you want to argue with me, mister? Stopping at your joke, I know this very often. always better at joking than me. you got to stop picking on people in the audience. They always get back at me better, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. But who even decides? You'll read a lot of these spiritual gifts tests and they'll start adding things like evangelism where we have no list that evangelism is a spiritual gift. If you pull in the role passage in Ephesians where some of us are evangelists or pastors, which really looks more like a role thing that does like a spiritual gift deal. I mean, he's kind of talking about gifts there. I'm pretty sure we're all supposed to be, you know, uh, evangelists. We've all been called to do that. And the idea that well, some people are going to be naturally better than others. Okay, fine. Let's call that a competency. I'm not so sure that's a spiritual gift. Now, it might be, and I don't need to argue about what's on your list of spiritual gifts or not. But the point is that when we make it us centered, we make it about our, our belief system, our personality, our values and skills and competencies and things we've learned. And I think we have to be very careful because that's a slippery slope. Because then it goes back to, again, I've achieved or earned something, even if I'm giving the spirit some credit for it somewhere down the line. But then I can use those values and those you know, uh, personality traits and skills for my own benefit. But if it's a spiritual gift, it's meant to be something that builds up the body and the community. And I think we have to be really careful uh, uh, interpreting that as uh, spiritual gifts. The, the third one is spiritual gifts aren't simply supernatural experiences that come on and off of you. It's not you-centered. This is kind of the other end of the spectrum here. You know, when most people hear spiritual gifts, they think about tongues. Uh, and, um, you know, whether you believe that tongues are still, uh, you know, around or not, which I would say you should. It's weird that you don't, um, if you don't. But, um, you know, that, that tongues is somehow a manifestation in, in kind of like an opera spundi, like a, a normal operation for spiritual gifts. Like, here's how spiritual gifts work. Tongues come on you, and then, you know, you speak crazy words, and then someone interprets, and then it's just this beautiful, wonderful, showy sign of spiritual gifts. Well, it's really clear from Paul when he talks about tongues that tongues is like one of the lowest forms of spiritual gifts. He's like, sure, we want you to speak in tongues if you can, but ultimately it's kind of just you and God until someone comes along and interprets. I'd much rather you have a skill, a spiritual gift that leads to you edifying and encouraging and building up other people. And the irony, uh, of course, I think of tongues being uh, one of the major spiritual gifts in our society, um, particularly among Pentecostals, is that it's again, it goes back to that individual achievement. Look how spiritual I am. Look how showy I am because I can speak in tongues. Which is really what the Corinthian church was doing themselves. It's not us centered. These aren't just simply supernatural forces that come over us and immediately we're compelled to do crazy things and then it's gone. Does the spirit work like that? Sure. But in all honesty, it seems more like the spirit works like that in people who are not Christian than in people who are. People who are Christian, the spirit works and builds over time and places you in the right spot. And I don't really see in Scripture there being the same promise of spiritual gifts for people who aren't in Christ. Uh, I think spiritual gifts are for Christians. 
and for people who are really committed. Not to say that all Christians have spiritual gifts. I think there are plenty of them who don't have any. Simply because they're not in a body where they can even uh, uh, use those gifts. I don't think the Holy Spirit just, you know, dashes gifts around with people who aren't involved in the body of Christ. Because if they're not, where are they going to be using the gifts? I mean, maybe at work, I guess, I don't know. The Spirit may work in some different ways there. But Jesus, in talking about the Spirit, and of course he never talks about spiritual gifts, partly because the church hadn't existed at that point. But he talks a lot about the Spirit coming and having communal impact. It's going to convict the world of, right, uh, of guilt and sin. It's going to counsel people. Uh, it's going to lead them. I mean, you know, Jesus was ultimately talking about spiritual gifts. when he talked about a lot of these things, but in much more general and vague terms. But they're going to build up. They're not a bunch of showy signs. You look at Jesus' ministry, really quickly you figure out Jesus was not into showing his power through signs. He constantly, when people wanted signs, sent them away and gave them riddles instead. And the times that he did do showy stuff, he did it in the presence of one or two individuals. Because the, ga- the, the, game of, or the aim of it wasn't to impress people. It was to help people. We do the same thing with spiritual gifts, guys. We, we try to make them showy. We're the person who specializes in this. We're the person who does that. That's my gift. Look at me. Rely on me. I'm the expert here. I'm the one that fill in the blank. That's not really how Jesus did ministry. He didn't do showy stuff like that. The showy stuff that appeared in his ministry was when he touches a leper and, and, cleans, and heals them. Heals him in the presence of a few individuals. I mean, come on. You could have put that up on stage. Put it in a, you know, I mean, that, people cheering, going crazy, you know. I mean, you could have built that up. I don't know. He just wasn't a good showman. But you see the aim of a lot of those showy things were to really benefit and bless people. Okay, what are spiritual gifts then, now that we've, you know, covered kind of what they are? Uh, number one, our spiritual gifts are the work of the Spirit. That's, that's probably one of the most important things. And they are to build up the church as He sees fit. This is said multiple times. Which, which gives you this sense that the Spirit is more knowledgeable than we are, and He is going to distribute the gifts as is appropriate in the environment uh, that they, they're needed. Spirit... Spiritual gifts are works of the Spirit to build up the church as He sees fit. And, and there's you know, a number of things that we could say as a result of that. One is just that God is active. And part of the way is that He's active is He's actually distributing these gifts of power to people in uh, the body of Christ to really bless and minister and edify people. He's distributing that. This is not... He's teaching and training people how to be righteous, gifts of the Spirit, all that stuff. That's there, and that's important. But this is focused primarily on Him distributing aspects of power to us to build up the body in the environment that we're in. And I think a lot of times uh, aspects that we're just not necessarily that good at. Uh, And the idea, again, that we... And and I know that part of this is going to get a little bit weird, and you're thinking, wait, well, how can... It just be given to me, you know. No, I got to work for it. I've got to kind of achieve something. I've had experience and practice. I don't think so. I think some of the changes we see in people, uh, which is rare, but is overnight or over a few weeks. Uh, sometimes it's just the spirit actually deciding. Okay, it's time for this person to figure this spiritual gift out. <laughs> so I'm just gonna boom, and it's there. Um, and there's some building. Don't get me wrong, but there's some building that goes on uh, before that. I don't think it's really just poof and it's there. Uh, but the Spirit is doing these things as the body needs. So let's, let's talk about what that means uh, if it's building up the, the church as he sees fit. 
Number one, we've got to get past this idea that gifts are somehow like rigid and, and, and standard. Everyone sort of has this many gifts. We get mixed up with the whole talents thing, which I don't think is spiritual gifts. You've got five, I've got three. We've got to have five gift leaders and all this other nonsense. Uh, gifting, I think, is very flexible. And then some of this is kind of conjecture. But I look at some of Paul's ministry as he goes from one place to the next, and I definitely see some things that uh, really change. The, the gifting isn't necessarily permanent. You don't just sort of like, yo, I got that scourge, get picked it up, and I'll have it for the rest of my life. It's very flexible. And, and, and I think sometimes you know, the Spirit can develop those things in you, and then just as quickly you know, when you're in an environment where there's not necessarily a need, those things can go away or diminish or whatever else. Certainly you've, you've changed and I think have learned something from it, uh, but, but there's a flexibility of gifting. This is why it's so important in my mind that we don't focus too much on people being in the right roles. In a small church, guys, I mean, right roles, what does that mean? Is it possible that you're in a role that you're not really fit to do? I mean, do we want people to be fit for the roles they're in? Sure, in an ideal world. But I think part of the real force of the Spirit's gift is that it, the Spirit can work in people who are wrong for the role that they're in. In a small church like ours, we've got to be very careful about the idea of, well, that's not my role. I, I don't have gifting for that area. I mean, certainly we don't want to put someone who's terrible with finances in charge of our finances. Although, it probably wouldn't be bad for there to be at least on a committee, maybe, that I learn. I mean, there's, there's discretion and wisdom used there. But, but this is one of the, the real strengths, I think, of local and small church ministry. It's one of the real reasons I have a, a tough time with megachurches. Because in megachurches, we just find the most talented person. We fit them in that role. And a lot of times, we're not even paying much attention to whether they're doing that role in measure with their faith. Uh, is this really coming out of a, uh, you know, this is something that spirits worked in me, that, you know, um, I'm doing it in measure with my faith in Christ, or am I just good at it? And I've decided that, well, you know, what Jesus really wants is the people who are the best at those things. Who knows why they're the best at it? They could have worked hard for it. They could have been obsessed with it their whole life. They could be using it in opposite ways than the Spirit wants them to use, in ways to lord it over people, to gain glory for themselves. I mean, you know, sky's the limit. This is what's so, I think, tough about really doing ministry in a megachurch environment is it's really, we limit our spiritual gifts to people doing things that they're already really good at. But in a small church environment like this, man, you can do whatever you want to do. And let's see how the spirit works. <laughs> Maybe by him not giving you the gift in that area after six months to a year is proof that you still shouldn't be there. But we can be flexible in our roles because I think the Spirit can make up where uh, our talent and our natural abilities are lacking. In a lot of ways, guys, I'm not a very good pastor. Some of you know me real well. You know that. Prophet? Yeah. I mean, I can criticize and tell you all the bad things that are about to happen and then run off. Uh, a teacher? I mean, you know, maybe. But a pastor? I'm not really that good. You know, the whole guy that comes alongside you and wants to sit with you and kind of develop you spiritually and nurture you and encourage you. That's just not, I'm not that guy. Um, but over time, certainly I can watch as the Spirit has begun to develop pastoral traits and qualities in my personality and who I am. I just watch that. Honestly, it's the same thing with wisdom. Man, when I was 15 or 16, I was terrible at school and at life. And I'm still really unwise. I'm kind of brilliantly unwise in some areas. 
and somehow I think uh, I probably have been gifted with some wisdom along the, the, the path. And that's really a primarily a spirit's giving me wisdom. I don't think that, you know, the study, the knowledge, some of that stuff. I often think, like, how did I get a PhD? Like, what ha- how did that happen? I, I look back, I think through it, and I'm like, 15, 14-year-old BC student, not good in school. And then when I really became a Christian, somehow I, my thirst for knowledge and really loving to, to learn about the world just took off. And I see that as absolute spiritual gift. Uh, and even it changed my personality in some ways. Because I don't think I was very analytical growing up. I was much more anxious. I was much more um, subjective. And so I, I just, I, I said that to say... This idea of limiting ourselves based on how the spirit can work, I think the spirit can change a lot of things about it. I think it can change your personality traits. Yeah. Absolutely. I, mean, I think you have to be careful with that. Personality is God-given. But the spirit's ability to work in us goes far beyond the natural means that we allow for. Beyond your competency, beyond your skill. Any of us who ever led a Focus on Jesus study and you know, was talking to someone and was able to explain some really com- complex, difficult subject in ways that really made sense that's spirit talking right there and you think back and you're like how did that just come out of my mouth what happened you know that can i say that again you try to say it again and you know and then the reason the spirit doesn't let you say it again is because he doesn't want you getting credit for it all right you know that's why people come up with sermons all the time they say oh will you say that again like i don't i i don't know what i said just you know explain that a little better uh that's the spirit working so uh, we can be flexible in uh, in roles, and I think we. You know, I'm going to say something about churches here because I do believe that the Spirit works in churches and works in the the large church, capital C. But we've got to be really careful of going to a church where we're an expert or where, whether or where we're needed. Both of these sound really spiritual and good. I'm going to go here because they really need me. I'm an expert on this, so I'm going to attend that church. Now. Hopefully, we're at least beyond the point of I'm going there because they've got the worship that I like, you know, grow up, baby. Um, Or the preaching really makes me feel good and challenged every week. Oh, well, good for you. Do you do anything as a result of it or no? You just like the speaker? That's great. But we've got to be really careful of going and belonging to places where we're needed or where we're we're an expert. Because sometimes that feeds pride. And you look at Jesus' ministry and he was needed constantly. Where did he go? Where the Spirit led him. Which meant sometimes he went from being able to go to a place which would have been really probably great for his ego and great for him feeling like his ministry was successful. Guys, Jesus was a man, 100% man. He wanted to be successful in his ministry. Do you not think that some of the sharp comments he made to his disciples came out of the frustration of not being as successful as maybe he wanted to be in his ministry? Is it a sin? No. Is he tempted by what men are tempted by? I want to see success. I want to have signs of it. I want to go home, be able to remind myself that I have this degree so that I can always rest on feeling like I'm successful. What did Jesus have at the end of his ministry? A bunch of freaks that left that nothing. You don't think there was tendencies to want to go where people needed him. At the end of his ministry, uh, there's a group of Gentiles that finally go up to Jesus. And they ask him. They want to you know, they have some time with him. And I just think as Jesus, that would have been so hard to reject. And he does. He rejects them. He says, now, I'm, I'm here for the, the sheep of Israel. But you know, there's a frustration in him throughout his ministry that Jews are rejecting the gospel. And I know this message is moving on to the Gentiles. I want to be a part of that. Paul was going to be doing that. Not Jesus. 
And we've got to be really careful about being involved with things and going places where we are needed and where we're the expert. Because sometimes that crowds out the Spirit. And we've got to remember, when the Scriptures are talking about leading in accordance with your faith, if this spiritual gift isn't in reality leading or, or in measure with your faith and in, in conjunction with your faith in God, you're not leading out of faith in God's power, not your own, it's not a spiritual gift. Or you're leading out of not faith, but your own talent and competency. And we got to be really careful about that. When, when I talk to people about theology, when I work on cars, I have a real tendency to let that kind of wisdom and knowledge come out and impress people. And make them feel bad for not knowing near as much as me. And honestly, the reward of that is in doing that. It's like Jesus telling, you know, you gave and then someone said, oh, wow, we're impressed with your gift. And that's the end of the gift. Talk about an eternal reward from God. Eh, gift gone. Do that all the time with spiritual gifts. We, or competencies or skills. We allow people to look at us and see, oh, wow, you're brilliant. But guys, spiritual gifts are about doing what's best for others in accordance with their needs. Their needs. Always their needs. And in some ways, spiritual gifts has very little to do with us and our needs and our competencies. It really is about benefiting and blessing of the body. Number two, spiritual gifts are works of the Spirit that allow you to minister to others in the environment you're in. It's Spirit-centered. And I think if we think back to some of the relationships we've had with people and uh, in the weird environments we're in, I think we could really think about the Spirit working in ways in us that we might take credit for, but it allowed us to connect with people who we weren't normally connected to. Allowed us to say things, be things to people who we just didn't naturally fit with. This is one of the greatest testimonies in my mind to God's work in us is the body of diversity that we have. In terms of not just racial diversity, which is a sign of diversity and simply a symbol. But the kind of diversity that really goes above social class and goes above personality types and backgrounds and all these other things. Spiritual gifts allow us to really interact with people. The third one, I'm moving through these quickly because I think the first point was the most important. Uh, spiritual gifts are works of the Spirit that allow you to be ministered to in the environment you're in. Now, that sounds kind of weird. Uh, how would, you know, spiritual gifts necessarily be a ministry to myself? Uh, there's probably a couple ways we could, we could talk about this or think about it, but let me, let me just focus on one, and that is when you look at the spiritual gifts passage, particularly in 1 Corinthians and in Romans... What's always paired with the spiritual gift in those contexts is the idea of worship. And in Romans 12, it's worship. In 1 Corinthians 17, it's worship. And I think there's something about spiritual gifts that allow us to worship God. So I want to kind of talk about that just, just sort of really, really quickly. Number one, recognizing spiritual gifts in yourself, uh, I think really opens up new kinds of worship for you. Number one... The gift itself being given to you certainly calls forth worship from you. When you know that the Spirit's working in you to gift you with something that you really don't deserve or haven't achieved or worked towards, that's like getting a present. What do we feel when we get presents from people? Usually my mind is like, oh, i got to give them a present. How am I going to give them? And the better the gift it is, the more like, oh, i got to be creative too. It's going to be bad. And I've learned how to just like receive gifts, you know, and not have to give other people back gifts, which is really just saying I don't give gifts, so uh, not a spiritual gift of mine. Uh, and it gives me an excuse. But 
When we receive and recognize that we're getting spiritual gifts from God, there's just a natural act of worship in that. Being able to worship as a result of God gifting us with it. But even the act of that gift itself and, and, and allowing that in our lives to be uh, manifest and for those things to, to impact and love other people, is, it's just a natural form of worship. Uh, and we don't tend to think about it like this. This is what's so problematic. Uh, administration. I don't know too many administrators who are gifted in administration who think, man, they're doing the checks, you know, doing the accounting. This is worship. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's not, it's not the Spirit's fault. It's your fault. The Spirit says it's going to give people uh, gifts in administration uh, to benefit the body. That's an act of worship. It's in the context of worshiping. Romans 12, what does it say? It says you're, you know, spiritual sacrifice, living bodies. You're, yeah. Spiritual act of worship. You're doing these things. These passive, mundane things like renewing my mind is itself an act of worship. And, I mean, worship at the end of the day is simply just putting God in His rightful place. And so when I'm doing that and recognizing, wow, God's given me the ability to do this, to fulfill this role, this is really cool. And I am getting to, to recognize God's work in and around me. This is one of the things that kills us a lot when we're really busy. So we're constantly active, 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 doing things, and we see all of our work as being a, I'm working because I have to. I have to feel like I'm you know, accomplishing something spiritual. I have to feel like I'm you know, uh, not being lazy. I have to feel like, and all the lists that go on. It's the Martha versus Mary moment, right? And not recognizing that in so much of this work, God is providing the things that you need to do the very work that you're doing. And he's working, and that's worship, just doing that. But I think more importantly, and, and maybe easier to understand, is it allows us to see ourselves as a recipient. When we really understand spiritual gifts, guys, understand that God chooses to work in us to bless each other and bless people in our environments, we are that, that jar of clay, that pot, being manipulated and molded by God himself. That places us in a mental mode, in a mental mindset of God is here. I am being used for his purposes. And thankfully, he's a great master builder and uh, is going to take care of me. And it places me in my right context. It frees us from self-worship. From having to worship our skills and our attributes and all the things that we've accomplished and will accomplish this next week. And if you're honest, guys, if you just really sit back and think, so much of our mental energy goes into looking at our successes of what we've accomplished and feeling guilty and insecure for the things we've yet to do. So much of it. Where is the room for our spiritual gifts and a recognition that God is, is in, in power through His Holy Spirit in each one of us, giving us things that we don't deserve, making us qualified and capable for things that we, if we weren't a part of the body, probably wouldn't be doing. We take that for granted. We take that work for granted. And we either make it about, well, I've got to have a higher bar, or I've accomplished it myself, or all these other things that we do. But we've got to be really cognizant of that and pay attention to uh, the gifts that God gives us. So I didn't go through the specific gifts because, I mean, you know, that could have been helpful, but there's so many places you can get that information already that will explain gifts uh, of giving and administration and um, you know, all of the other different fun gifts that, that we have. Uh, I wanted to give you more of a framework for which to kind of think about those things. 
uh, and really pay attention to. And so, you know, you get online and you can kind of look through some of those gifts uh, if you want to. Take some of the assessments. They're really funny and fun. Some of them are long, man, and they don't make any sense. But uh, we love assessments. We love to assess ourselves. So, you know, go ahead and do that um, and see what kinds of odd gifts that you get. Uh, because uh, that would be kind of funny. Any questions before we end? I'm going to let you have questions this time. Because I ended, you know, 45 minutes instead of 50. Yes. Question time. Yeah. But then you also talk about, okay, but it's great if you speak in tongues, but that's really more between you and God unless there's an interpreter. Right. So how do you know, like, if your gift, like, you have this gift that God gave you, but is there such a thing as a gift just for the sake of you being closer to God? Like, he can give you that just for, for your relationship? It's possible, but the scripture doesn't talk about it. Uh, you know, when you look at the scripture, I mean, every one of those four passages is all the focus is on primarily it's for edifying the body. And if it's not accomplishing that or not doing that, I mean, I think, yes, there are those gifts that as kind of a secondary or tangential part, it allows us to grow closer to God and certainly grow closer, closer to God through his design of, you know, uh, us ministering to other people. But the spiritual gifts passages, in my mind, are just really, really clear. Every single one of them talks about loving, being devoted to each other, edifying the body. And if the gift falls short of that, if it doesn't grow beyond just a sort of a thing between you and God, it's not effective. And it's not a spiritual gift, maybe. It's maybe just some skill you've developed that, you know, is great. And guys, personality traits, awesome. Competencies, skills, whoa, good for you. I like skills. I mean, bow hunting skills. I uh, can't quote the rest of them because I can't remember. What you say? Both staff skills, you know, lots of skills. But uh, if you're not uh, uh, eagerly desiring the spiritual gifts, uh, like prophecy, which is one we don't talk about here because we're not Pentecostal, but it is absolutely a spiritual gift and a great one too, uh, then, uh, you know, you're missing a part of, of the good news of the gospel. Simple as that. Just because we don't focus on it as a church doesn't mean it doesn't exist. If you're not asking to speak in tongues or, you know, want to kind of get into that, then you're missing out. I've asked. I've never spoken in tongues before. I'm not too worried about it, you know. It's not like bucket list of things to do in my life. It doesn't seem incredibly, you know, important at a church that's particularly not that into that. It comes from backgrounds where maybe that was like, didn't exist and it's bad and whatever else. But it's absolutely a gift, and I've been around people who have, and I've heard it spoken, and, you know, these people really love God, and, and it's been interpreted, and it's been great. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week, and you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.